Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you. The flowers will fade and the grass will wither, but the word of our Lord will endure forever. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see you more clearly, that we might know what it looks like to follow you more faithfully. Would your spirit be at work as we stand humbly under your word today, we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it it can be frustrating and scary if you are struggling to see. I had an experience a number of years ago when I was just learning how to snowboard up on Mount Baker. And uh, because I was relatively new to the sport, I didn't have all the proper gear with me. And the thing that I was missing on this particular trip was ski goggles. And it was fine uh, when it was clear, but a couple of runs into the day, this huge blizzard blew in, and it was this complete whiteout. And this combination of being very mediocre at this skill of snowboarding and barely being able to see, also having contact lenses that I was trying to close, not let snow into my eyes, it made for a very difficult journey down the mountain, as you can imagine. There's a lot of falling, a lot of frustration, a lot of exhaustion by the time I got to the bottom. Thankfully, someone in our group had a spare set of goggles and I was able to use those to get through the rest of the day. And I'll tell you, it was amazing. Those of you who know uh, ski often, the difference that little piece of equipment can make to be able to navigate these adverse conditions. Um, we're, we're finishing up a series today called Reenvisioning Discipleship in the Gospel of Mark. We've been following the disciples on this slow journey to Jerusalem. And as they've been on the way to Jerusalem, we've discovered that they're also on their way spiritually. They have a lot to learn. Jesus is trying to reframe, giving them a different lens by which to view who he is and what it means to follow him. And this journey began and ends, begins and ends with a healing story of someone who is blind. This is actually, in many ways, a a living parable for the disciples. They, too, are blind in their own way. They need Jesus to lay his hands on their eyes yet again so that they might see him more clearly. And as we wrap up this series, I'm wondering if God continues to want to open our eyes to some new realities. I wonder if we, in our own way, find ourselves struggling to see today struggling to navigate some adverse conditions. I I suspect that some of us are struggling to discern God's leading in this season. Perhaps you have some very big decisions before you and are struggling to know which path to follow. Perhaps others of us come with some persistent questions, some deep questions and about who God is, about the meaning of our life. And in the midst of these hard questions, there can be all kinds of things that blur our vision, that can get in the way of us seeing Jesus clearly. We've been naming a number of these challenges along the way to Jerusalem throughout this series. We've talked about how fear can cloud our vision how bad theology can sometimes distort our picture of God. This was a problem for the disciples. They had a distorted image of the Messiah, and they had different expectations. They had their sights set on glory and power, and Jesus called them to servanthood and humility. 
Last week we talked about how affluence can sometimes skew our vision, can distract us from some of these deeper things of significance in our life. We've talked about doubt and some of the questions that we face along the way. My hope is that we would discover today in this final healing scene how Jesus goes about the work of restoring our vision, how he might give us a new set of lenses by which to see through some of the chaos, some of the blizzard conditions of life that make it hard for us to chart a path. And that's my, my hope for us today as we reflect on this man, Bartimaeus. Now, I would submit to you that in Mark 10, there, is actually, there are actually three blind men in this chapter. <laughs> we hear of the blind man Bartimaeus, but I would suggest to you that the disciples in their own way are modeling or illustrating a spiritual blindness in this scene. This text that we listen to is actually connected to the previous text the previous scene, and it's connected by a question that we're going to spend some time on today, where Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? The exact same verbiage shows up in verse 36 and verse 51, and what we notice is, if we rewind Mark 10 a little bit, is that James and John's response, response to this question reveals some persistent spiritual blindness. They're still missing the point, even after all these conversations along the way. In response to this question, what do you want me to do for you, James and John again say, we want to sit at your right and left hand when you come into your kingdom. They continue to have this vision of power and prestige, and Jesus goes on to again correct their vision. And so this story is connected with our story. We don't just have blind Bartimaeus, we have blind James and John. And I I think the same dynamic is at play in our scene today, that the disciples are continuing to overlook what Jesus cares about, what Jesus wants to prioritize. So we notice in our text in verse 48 that when Bartimaeus calls out for mercy, many of those who are following Jesus, his disciples, rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Jericho is the last stop before Jerusalem, and they have ambitions, and they want to get on their way to Jerusalem. This is where things are going to come to a head. And as Bartimaeus calls out for help, the disciples want to overlook him. They want to silence him because they have more important things on the horizon. And I wonder if that's maybe one of the ways that we ought to read ourselves into this story. Do we perhaps sometimes function like the crowd? I wonder if one of the ways Jesus wants to heal our vision is to see those who are on the margins, to see the cry and hear the cries of those who are poor. Jesus has been doing this all the way to Jerusalem. He's constantly trying to center those on the margins. He's bringing the children into the scene, women into the scene, outsiders, the marginalized, and the disciples constantly want to overlook that in pursuit of different ambitions. I wonder if God wants us to see and hear the cries of those in need, if that's part of the vision that needs to be restored for us. I think we do have a tendency at times to overlook 
those on the margins. Our text says that Bartimaeus is on the side of the way. He's on the sidelines, on the margins. Perhaps it's even easier for us to do this in our day and age in a kind of a globalized world where we maybe don't even see the cries of suffering behind some of the things that we rely on and use. Last week I talked about how we have a tendency to surround ourselves with people in a similar socioeconomic class and then we call that normal. We normalize excess. And by doing so, our vision is sometimes skewed. We don't see, we don't hear the needs of a world that is suffering. A few weeks after moving into a poor neighborhood in Atlanta, the author and activist Jeff Schinnebeger got a knock on his door. And it was uh, from a man named Clarence that he had gotten to know. And Clarence was a homeless man who lived in the neighborhood, tried to make ends meet by doing odd jobs. And as Jeff opened the door, he saw Clarence standing out in the pouring rain, and Clarence said, is there any chance you could lend me a coat or an extra pair of socks? As Jeff walked to his closet, he realized the disparity between him and his new neighbor, Clarence. Here he had about 10 coats and 20 pairs of socks and 10 pairs of shoes. In his talk, The Endless Cycle of Want, uh, Jeff Schinnebeger talks about the power of proximity in shaping hearts of compassion. Prior to living in this space, he was able to isolate himself from that. He had normalized excess, and he had overlooked and was not seeing the needs of those on the margins. And he uses this as a, a challenge to us to ask this question, how might we restore that vision? How might we, like Jesus in this scene, pause and see and call out to those who are in need? What might it look like for us to have some more intentional proximity to the Bartimaeuses in our world? Perhaps that's how we ought to read ourselves into this scene. At the same time, I suspect that some of us can also connect with Bartimaeus. I think there's a couple different readings we can bring to this text. Perhaps some of us need to read ourselves in as Bartimaeus today. It says that Bartimaeus was on the side of the way. I wonder if some of us feel a bit sidelined, a bit excluded in one way or another, maybe excluded or on the sidelines of the spiritual journey. One uh, day when I was down in Longview, I did a meditative reading on this text where we imagined ourselves into this scene with a group of people, and we were sharing about our experience, what we were noticing, what we were connecting with. And there was a younger man who was newer to our church, newer to faith in the group, and he had a profound observation. When we asked uh, where he saw himself in the scene, he said, I feel like I'm standing 10 feet away from all of it. Like, I don't even know if I belong in the story. It was a really profound moment to ask that question and, and to share the good news of a God who wants to draw him into the scene. But I wonder if that's how some of us sometimes feel. We're on the sidelines. We're struggling spiritually. We're struggling to connect with community. Our text says that Bartimaeus asked that he would receive his sight again. I noticed that word again in this reading. It suggests that at one point, 
Bartimaeus had vision, but he had lost it. Maybe that describes some of us. Perhaps there's been a season where you had a sense of God's leading in your life, a, a strong sense of faith, and yet through the challenges of life or the realities of suffering, maybe that vision is dimmed for you, that you're struggling to see, that you've lost sight of that vision. Perhaps you're navigating a season of doubt, a season of deconstruction, where those things that seem so firm now are a little bit shaky. Those things that seem so sure now seem a bit dim. Is that how we maybe enter this story today? And then I I think just generally we see in Bartimaeus a man who is deeply vulnerable on a lot of fronts. He's vulnerable emotionally, socially, economically, physically. Does that perhaps meet you today? Do you come feeling vulnerable in one way or another? Economically vulnerable, physically vulnerable. I know there's a number of us who are in that camp right now, walking through some tragedies, some difficult diagnoses, some experiences where we feel a little bit uh, less able to do what we used to do, or we're tied to a hospital room, to a cancer ward. I wonder if God wants to meet us in that place. However you find yourself in this story, what I want us to notice is where Jesus is in this scene. Where Jesus shows up in this scene. We've talked about uh, this image of encountering a three-mile-an-hour Jesus throughout this series. A Jesus who is slowing down, walking with us, who has time for the children, time for the poor, time for those on the margins. And we encounter that same Jesus in our scene, and this is what we read. Jesus stopped, and he said, call him. And so they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, and came to Jesus. What a beautiful image of Jesus who stops and he sees. Even though he has big things on the horizon for him, he's likely eager to get to Jerusalem for what is before him. He stops and he sees and he calls out to Bartimaeus, Perhaps that might come as good news to us today, to know that there's a God who stops and he sees you and he calls out to you. He has time for you. In the first week of the series, we were exploring some of the false images of God that maybe twist our picture. And sometimes I think one of those images that we named is God is like the executive director that's just really busy. (laughs) Really busy, running the universe, doesn't have time for you. And here we have this picture of a God who stops sees and calls out to you. And then notice what Jesus says to Bartimaeus. He speaks this question, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? We've noticed before that Jesus asks a lot of questions. We go to the scripture for answers and often we find questions. Over a hundred questions Jesus asks. And I've been wondering why he asks questions. He doesn't need to ask this question. He's God. He knows. He knows the answer. He could probably 
assume what Bartimaeus needs, and yet he asks this question. I think there's a couple reasons why Jesus does this. First, I think it's because Jesus is inviting relationship. He wants engagement, conversation. He doesn't want to just be this dispenser of religious goods. He wants conversation, and questions evoke that. Second, I think it's because he wants to invite reflection. By wrestling with this question, I think Bartimaeus has afforded this opportunity to really do some introspection and ask, what am I really after? What do I want you to do for me, Jesus? I would invite you this week to really sit with this question, to carve out some space, to allow Jesus to pose that question to you. What do you want me to do for you? I think this can be a really clarifying question for us. It might help us unpack what we're really after. In my second year of grad school, I was really struggling to discern God's leading. It was a season of um, blurriness spiritually. I was just struggling to discern. I had pursued an academic career. I thought that was kind of the path I would go, and I was finding it very... um, It was just sucking the life out of me. (laughs) It was not where I was finding a lot of meaning, and so it was this disorienting time of what path to go, what direction to go. I spent some time talking with one of my professors, Bruce Hinmar. Some of you know him from Regent College. We have a few Regent folks here. And as I was wrestling, he asked me a very similar question to this question. What, What is it that you are seeking? What do you want from God, Phil? And I thought it was a really silly question. I thought, you have a PhD from Oxford, like, let's come up with something a little more profound here, right? I mean, it kind of caught me off guard. It felt a little bit fluffy. What does your heart say? It's like, are we on the Oprah Winfrey show here? It just felt kind of not what I was expecting. But I was surprised by how profound that question was to unlock some of the, the fuzziness for me. And there was something in that moment that just clicked, and I found myself blurting out, well, if what, I, what I really want is to be a pastor. And I was surprised that I said that. I wasn't expecting that. And Bruce said, well, why don't you go do that? I thought that was wise. And, but what I discovered through reflecting on that experience is that there were all kinds of things that were blurring that, that sense of longing for me. I was concerned about ego. <laughs> I didn't really want to be a pastor. I didn't want to, people to see that as my identity. I was fearful of failure. I had known many pastors who had burned out. Uh, there's a lot of churches in decline. I didn't know if I wanted to tie my fate to a, what sometimes feels like a sinking ship, the church in the West, right? And there, there was all kinds of fear that was clouding that, but this question helped me see the deeper desire that, that was being clouded by things that weren't of the Lord. The Lord doesn't lead us in fear. And so I'd invite you to wrestle with that question. What do you want Jesus to do for you? What are you really after? I wonder if that might bring some clarity. Trevor Hudson, a professor of mine who wrote a book, The Questions God Asks Us, encourages us to be radically honest with this question. We, we might want to try and sound spiritual and cover up what we really think. But I think it's helpful to just begin by getting it out on the table, and we might discover some 
partially developed desires, maybe some superficial desires, but just start there and keep the conversation going. We notice that James and John, in response to this question, have a bit of a superficial desire. I want to be great. I want to be your right-hand man. But even that led to deeper awareness. Jesus used that conversation to keep the conversation going and, and pointed them into a more beautiful vision. Sometimes behind superficial desires, undeveloped desires, are actually our true longings that are masked by some of these counterfeit gods that get in the way. Maybe we just start by being honest. And if we're struggling to really desire the things of God, such a freeing prayer for me is to say, God, give me the desire to desire you. What do you want me to do for you? I wonder if it's just simply in the wrestling with this question that God begins to open our eyes. If that's how God heals some of our spiritual blindness. Well, I want to end on a practical note today because I want us to, to notice what actually activated this whole conversation for Bartimaeus. And it began by him humbly calling out to God for mercy. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he repeats this a couple times. This is what began this whole process that led to the healing of his vision. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. I would suggest to you that this is a prayer that we ought to have close to our hearts and minds. This prayer has, an important, um, has played an important role in the history of the church. In the Orthodox tradition, this came to be known as the Jesus prayer. And many saints that have gone before us saw in this an answer to the question that Paul poses, which is, how do we pray without ceasing? And in the Orthodox tradition, this would be practiced as a breath prayer, Would people would say, Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And they would say that over and over again until it would become a reflex in our soul. I, uh, I love to do this as a, a breath prayer, and this is just getting really into the nuts and bolts here, but this may be helpful <laughs> as a breathing prayer that I've found to help recenter throughout the day that's starting to develop as more and more of a reflex for me as I've done this practice more and more. But a lot of people like to do this as this breath prayer where we say, Lord Jesus Christ, and we breathe in. Son of God, and we breathe out. Have mercy on me. We breathe in a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Perhaps that might be a helpful practice for you to consider this week. What this prayer ultimately models for us is humility. Is humility. Now we've noted on the way to Jerusalem that those who have missed the call to discipleship, who have turned away from it, have done so because of pride or self-sufficiency. Last week, we looked at the rich landowner, and he had a lot going for him. He was wealthy. He was also pretty sure of himself. I have kept all the commandments since I was a boy, he said. <laughs> and Jesus said, no one is good except God himself. And yet here we have a counter to that story. This poor beggar who has nothing throws his cloak aside. Do you notice that detail? His only possession 
and gets up and follows Jesus. And when his eyes are open, it says he followed him along the way. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road, along the way. I hope this comes as good news to us. It's a reminder that our ability to see and enter the kingdom of God is not based on your self-sufficiency. It's not about being all put together and having the right answer. No, we enter this path in humility, like this man simply calling out for mercy. Last week's text, Jesus said, there will be a great role reversal. The last will be first And as he heads into Jerusalem, we see that this is starting to take place. The rich landowner has walked away. The poor beggar, who has been last and least, throws his cloak aside and follows along the way, journeying with Jesus into Jerusalem. I pray that God might meet you today. You might discover the hope that in your struggle, in your sin, in your own places of brokenness, God stops and he sees you. That we can, in humility, say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And he will see you desire to open your eyes so that we might follow him along the way. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. We thank you for your compassion. We thank you that we can come to you In humility, you desire to open our eyes and lead us on the path of life. Would you meet us now as we come to this table? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.